Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Frenchie is here. We are back from the Thanksgiving break. Thank you to our friends at Java House for continuing their support. If you are not in the Indianapolis area, please go to javahouse.com and use promo code PITLANE10 for 10% off your orders. I promise I will actually record an episode from there at one point. I have literally gotten sick both times I was supposed to go, despite confirming with them I was going to go. So I will at some point make it there. Not this week, not next week, probably not the week after either. Maybe in the new year. But I'm trying. I'm trying. So, Frenchie, listeners, there's there's not a ton going on, so we figured we'd switch it up a little bit. There's a little bit of news. I think today we're, we're actually not going to talk about IndyCar. We're going to talk about nothing but e-scooter and Iowa ticket prices. That's the only things we're going to talk about for an hour, maybe four hours. Who knows? I've got plenty of time right now, so you know we could we could do whatever we want. In all seriousness, we're going to do a couple trivia questions, kind of rapid fire back and forth. So instead of stump Frenchie, it's stump each other. Then we'll touch on a little bit of news, and yeah, I'm going to start because I I want to. This one has more than well has mul- multiple correct answers. So I want to see how many you can get. Can you name at least five people who won the Indy 500 from 1990 to 2000? Oh, yeah, I okay. think I can do that. Um, so 90 was Ari Leyendyke, 91 was Rick Mears, 92 was Alancer Jr., 93 was Emerson Fittipaldi, 94 was Alancer Jr., and 95 was Jacques Villeneuve. Yeah, right? can you go through the rest of the 90s while you're just like... Per- uh, then the split happened and I get, that was, I was a cart person. So uh, let me think about who won. Uh, Buddy Lazier, is he 96? 97. I honestly don't know. I know 98, I think is Kenny Brack. 99 is Kenny Brack. Or is he 99? Okay, 99. So yeah, 97 and 98, I don't i'm sure that i know them you missed lion dyke in 97 eddie cheever in 98 oh yeah you won it again who did uh, i miss? eddie cheever in 98 oh yeah it's like my one of the most yeah. bland like yeah, sorry, least favorite winners right there all right you're up uh okay so this is also indy 500 related which indy 500 has had the most lead changes oh and I'll give you, you want to know how many lead changes? No, oh, that won't make a difference. <laughs> okay. Is it, okay, is it from 2010 to now? Okay. Yes. 2014? Ooh, so close. Ah. 2013. So that was TK's win? Okay. Yep, okay. you got that. It was 68 lead changes. Damn. I thought it was the, the one Hunter Ray one in 14, but good question. All right. We're going to keep with the Indy 500 winners here because I didn't have a ton of time to prepare questions for, well, Frenchie knows why. So let's let's skip down here. Let's go 2000 to 2010. Same, same exact question. Okay, that should be easier because Montoya won it in 2000. Yep. Then Castro Neves 
won it in 2001 and then 2002 technically <laughs> because Paul Tracy really won that. Um, 2003 was Jill yep. DeFerrin, my guy back then. 2004 was Buddy Rice. And then 05 was a Weldon yep. win, right? Yep. His first win. And then we get into the period where like Dario won a bunch of them. Nope. So well, he, he, and oh, yeah, Sam yeah, Horace yeah. Jr. won two. Yeah, how could you? How could you miss and that? And then Dario starts winning a yeah. bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good enough there. All right, you're up. Okay, so this is. I think this is the only one that I have that's still an Indy 500 question. So, which was the shortest Indy 500 race in terms of laps? And I can give you the number of laps if you want. It was shortened by rain, I believe. Was it in the seventies? Yeah, I'm not gonna. There were multiple short. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna get it. I'm not gonna get this. Let's just go seventy four. I mean, not that far. Obviously, seventy six. So it was Johnny Rutherford's second win. I guess it was. It was only a hundred. I knew it was like oh, I was gonna say one hundred and ten, but yeah. Oh well. All right, my turn. So we are going to go to the 90s. Now, this this one might be tough for you because we were just talking about CART and whatnot. But the first two years of CART, uh, a.k.a. the early 90s, was that? I forget what years it was exactly now because I didn't write it down. There were two, ch- there were two chassis being used. W- who were the manufacturers? Wait, for CART or for, do you mean for IRL? Oh, for CART in the 90s? Uh, You had a Lola chassis. Uh, And there was a, was it March was before that? So I don't know if it was March. That was old. That was like 80s. So what was the other? I mean, Penske, I guess, started to have a chassis eventually. Oh, Reynard? Um. Okay, so that one was pretty good. I had to think about that one. Uh, let me... Let's see. Okay, so in the vein of the 2000s that we were just on... Oh, no, well, I don't want to give you that away. But maybe... I, yeah, yeah that, it won't help you that much. Okay, so... The last time that... Second place in the IndyCar Championship... Had more wins than the champion was which year like we obviously just had that in this past season but what was the last time it happened it's more recent you said or recent ish yeah because that's the last time i'm sure there's a bunch of times before that was it one when dixon won his last uh, not his his 2015 championship no, I don't think so, because they had the same number of wins, I believe. Right? Didn't he he won on countback or something? That was the one where he ended up tied with Montoya. I mean, yeah, so t- he won on countback, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't remember how many wins they had. So he had more wins than oh. actually if he won on countback. Darn. Okay. Uh, yeah, I got nothing. It was 2011 from my research. And funnily enough, Dario was the champion. He had four wins, and Will Power had six wins. Okay, but yep. Was unable to nab that championship. All right. So he got his redemption. I have another chassis one for you. This one might be tough. The 
initial chassis was called the Mark V or Mark V from 1997 to 2000 was produced by what manufacturer? Eventually, they do get purchased by Renard. Who is building the chassis? Oh, man. This is IRL. Uh, Hold on. I can... It's like I can see the <laughs> the car because the Oldsmobile engines. It's like something Force. I no, thought, not G Force. But... Oh, G Force. G Force was was it G Force IRL? Yeah, G Force was IRL. Wait, you're asking for a car? No, this is an Indy car chassis. It would be '97 to 2000. Oh, was it a? Spin? It was not. It was a Riley and Scott. Oh. Okay, well, they made sports Riley cars. Riley and Scott was purchased by Renard, and an all-new Mark Seven was introduced for the 2000 season. It won in Phoenix, the second race of the year, by our friend Buddy Lazier, but was super off the pace at Indy and was dropped by the teams afterwards. Wasn't the Riley and Scott Mark Three a car that won, like, the Daytona 24 Probably. in the late 90s? I think it was. I think it's, like, the one that Wayne Taylor won in. But I may be off. Okay, so this one has... Well, I have a backup answer for this one, basically. <laughs> there's there's a correct answer, but if you can get either one of these, I'll count as you nailing okay. it. So the best average starting position across a season. It's going to blow your mind. Like it's somebody I wouldn't expect it to be? No, you might expect it, but just like how good the average qualifies. I'm going to say 1.7. Oh my god, that's so close. What was it? So it's 2004, Sebastian Bourdais, his average starting position was 1.6. And then the next closest one that I has the second answer, so I count you as getting this right, um, was Mears in 1982 with 1.7. Can you imagine across a whole season? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I feel like I, I don't think I've gotten any of these right, but I've been off by like 0.1 or like one year on every single one. So I'm taking, I'm taking that as a win right now. All right, I have one, I have one yeah. more. I don't know where I wrote it down. Oh boy, it's not a, it's not in my notepad. So we're just gonna go to my research I was looking at here and go with. Hmm. I don't know. What should we go with? Hold on. We're gonna keep scrolling. I have a bunch of notes written down here, and. Oh wow. I mean, some of them are I just like copied and pasted a bunch of things, but. All right. Let's let's go with the, an easy one here. Maybe not, maybe not easy, but what year was Andretti Autosport first founded? Ooh, that's interesting because when did he leave Team Green? Did, are you talking about like Andretti Green counts as when they're? Founded? I believe based on the what what I have uh, written down in front of me, I would believe that yes, that counts. Okay, then it's like. Man, was it 05? You're 93. 93? That, that counts. counts as when Andretti Autosport That's what my notes founded. say. I mean, that's what I the research I found said. What? He was still driving for Newman Haas. Or no, in 93 he started in F1, but then he came back to Ganassi, and then he went to Newman Haas. So what's, let's, let's see. Where was Andretti Autosport? Let's see. 93... 
Oh, maybe. Okay, are we counting Team Green started Probably. back then? And that's like the origins of Car- Forsyth Green Racing. Yes, that's what they're calling it in '93. Yeah, I had okay. to switch. I had to okay. for everybody listening. I had to switch screens to my where I grab my notes from on the. So when did it become just Andretti? It became Autosport. Andretti in. Are you talking Andretti Green or Andretti Autosport? You asked me when Andretti okay. Autosport was. Andretti coming. Autosport would be '09. Oh, so I was still off. Okay, I said yeah. 05. Okay. They were still on Dreddy Green then? Wow, okay. It lasted longer It lasted longer than, than people remember for some reason. I don't know why. I don't remember it lasting that long either, but... I wonder what Kim Green's doing these days. No, he's part of Green Savory. We know what he's doing. Never mind. <laughs> I always forget about that. All right, so this one is another one with multiple answers. If you get any of them, you're correct. So there are a few tracks that we're we're going to get into the news obviously but that we're talking about going back to or returning to it's in everybody's dreams <laughs> i guess so i want you to give me the driver who has the most all-time wins at each of these tracks if you can there's three of them that i wrote down okay okay so first one should be easy for you is nazareth who has the most all-time wins there. I, I honestly don't. I don't know Nazareth history very well because it's been a long time since I've looked at oh, it. Okay. I, I. You're probably. I probably it. was. It wasn't an Andretti, was it? Okay. No, yeah, believe it or not, so. it wasn't. Rick Mears. No, you would think, but it was Damn. Emerson. Okay. For the Paul yeah, Dean. that makes sense. He won three times there. It's not like super yeah. dominant, but three times. Okay. Okay. Um, Milwaukee. If we're talking about going back there. It's maybe not who you think it is. This was someone that surprised Bourdais? me a little bit. No, I don't know how many wins he has there. I didn't see that. He's before. probably. I think he only has that one that was dominating. I think he's the one who won the most times at Surfers yeah. Paradise. If I wrote that correctly, I got nothing. This goes back a little bit further. Cristiano Damata. No, no, further than that. Did he? Even I don't know. Win <laughs> I don't I don't even know. know. It's Roger Ward. Oh, wow. He won seven times at Milwaukee. Yeah. Like, we're talking 50-60. I never would have guessed that. I was going to ask you about Trenton, but I feel like you'd know that. So, the last one that I want to ask you about is Atlanta Speedway, when IndyCar used to go there. I don't know. This is probably more can, obvious. Can you give me a decade? So, you know, it's an oval. It's the 70s, 80s. Yeah. Mario. No, it's Rick Mears. He won there five times. Okay. Well, that question was a struggle for me, but it's fine. All right, we're going to do the news, and yeah, what, what do we got up first? Um, I think the thing to start with is, let's go in chronological order, maybe, if I can remember when all these things took place, because Thanksgiving was kind of a haze of little nuggets of IndyCar news coming out. Yeah. But I guess the first one is that we've got official announcement that Stefan Wilson and Cusick Motorsports are going to partner with Dreyer and Reinbold for the Indy 500 next. Okay, that's cool. I have, I'm have i trying to pretend like I didn't know that. That's why I reacted that way. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm super pumped for... Why Why pretend that you didn't? It's like, oh my god, I, <laughs> Everyone I just probably found knows out on the just recapping. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think it's super cool for Stefan and for... Cusick to be partnered with Dry and Reinbold. I think Dry and Reinbold like actually seemed to really turn a corner last year in their 500 efforts and 
put on a, a strong showing. So I think that'll help Stefan and whoever Stefan's teammate may be for the 500 next year. Or, or may, may not, not be, be for the 500 next year. I, we don't know I can tell you one thing. It her. won't be me. And, well, not yet. I haven't, I'm still trying to raise the funding, <laughs> but we will see. Apparently so is Sage Karam. Unfortunately, yeah, he is yeah. no longer a part of that team. That's a bummer. Let me let me say one thing on Stefan. I'm super pumped for him. The people who are like, oh, he's just doing, he's just getting this because he is Justin Wilson's brother. Don't realize that Stefan is a very talented racer that just, you know, things haven't gone his way for you know whatever reason, whether it's luck or mistakes or whatnot. But the guy's talented. I know he's like nine feet tall, so it's hard to you know, fit in an IndyCar. But he's very talented, so yeah. And the Sage Karam thing, and then I'll let you, you know, give your thoughts. It's unfortunate because Sage had a good car last year, obviously, like I just said, and was really good. And I think he is a completely different driver and person than he was when he had his first Indy 500 seven or eight years ago, probably at this point. I don't even remember when it was. Whatever your Kurt Busch was in the Indy 500. I think that was... Was that like 14? 15? 12? Okay, maybe it was yeah, 2014. It was a while ago. Yeah. He he was, you know, he's a, he's a different guy now. He's matured a lot. And for sure. I hope he gets a chance. It seems like he's kind of just like given up hope and kind of resigned to doing Xfinity. And if that makes him happy, cool. I I think he could be a really talented driver. He had a couple good Xfinity races last year from, from the kind of end of the season that i saw so that that'd be cool but also it'd be it'd be a bummer to to i would like sage to at least be able to you know like connor did a couple years ago at least lead like a good chunk of laps so here's another piece of trivia that actually just presented itself this is going to be stefan wilson's fifth indy 500 could you like that's kind of hard to believe that it's only going to be his fifth but he has done so he's, but he's done a total of five races, right? So he's done four Indy 500s previously. What is that fifth race that wasn't an Indy 500 that he's participated in? He did one other like random Indy car Bal- race for Baltimore? Dale Coyne. How did you know that? I I don't know why I know that, but I'm pr- I'm pretty sure, like on Twitter a couple of years ago, he gave away like a signed Baltimore visor or something like that from his helmet, and I I don't know. That's the only thing. No, you win that? I don't win things on Twitter. <laughs> that, that used to be you. Yeah, Baltimore 2013. I know it was it was a nice period, but I don't really enter those things anymore. I have to pass my luck along to somebody else. Next little piece of news I think that we should discuss is this was a little weird. They released this I think on Wednesday, right before Thanksgiving at at three thirty four yeah. p.m. The Ray Hall news. You, you knew what I was going to say. Exactly. Yeah. So essentially what is happening, I guess maybe because it's kind of embarrassing for some of the parties involved. It looks like, I mean, hy still on the car, um, but it, it's being switched, right? So now Jack Harvey is going to be in the 30 with primary sponsorship still to be announced. And then Christian Lungard is moving over to the 45, which is the hy V car. And I don't know if this is a, you know what, we got to please High V. We got to make sure that, you know, if Jack has another bad season, which I don't think he will, hopefully, uh, we can't have him in that car because then maybe High V will run away. So maybe that's just the team kind of preempting it. But 
Um, it's just kind of a little interesting. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. And then they put, you know, that Graham Rahal is going to stay in the 15, like anybody was questioning that. Yeah, I don't know why we had to, to put that one in there, but nonetheless, it's it's like slightly disappointing. I, I Listen, I get it. I totally get it. But it's also slightly disappointing because... Jack has, Jack has been one of the know, five or six drivers that has always given us, you know, a good interview and the time of the day. Even when I was just first starting out with this thing five years and two days ago. So, yeah, I mean, it's a little bummer, but I mean, Christian deserves it. Yeah, he he had a good rookie year and that and with those four wheels on his car. So, you know, <laughs> there's not much to say, but good good for him. Hope. Hopefully, hopefully oh. the team in general can start out strong this year. So this was the other thing I found interesting. I guess we heard this announcement a little bit. Like, they said something about it a few months ago, maybe in September. But now he's officially an employee. It's um, Stefano Sordo. He's going to be the technical director there at Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan now. But I looked him up on LinkedIn, and his resume is, is impressive. Yeah, and you can go really far back, but... The first thing I think that's kind of relevant is he started in 2000 as a race engineer for Arrows in F1. Then he went to Jaguar. Then he was with Red Bull for a while in Toro Rosso. Then he was like the head of Aero at Red Bull for nine years before he moved from his last job where he was the director of vehicle performance for the McLaren F1 program. So that's a big catch for Ray Hall. Wow. All right. I mean, I knew he had a good resume. I didn't realize it was that good, so... Yeah. Props. They're not Props. playing. All right. All right. What's next? Let's see. I guess Jay Fry. I don't even know if this is really news or not. We, we can decide. But Jay Fry apparently said that 20 races during the season would be the goal. And that that would be the sweet spot, as he says. 
but he, he obviously, you know, you have to add three, and IndyCar's not just going to foot the bill on all of those. Yeah. So what are they going to be? Do we ever see 20? I mean, I don't I don't know if that's just him kind of saying that. I always thought Roger Penske said he liked 17 or 18 as a number. I don't remember what Roger said. It sounds, sounds like you're vaguely right. I just don't remember. But, I mean, yeah, it's cool. But am I, you know, getting my hopes up that, you know, 2024, there's going to be 20 races. No. If we had one, I think that would be, uh, you know, if we had, if we go to 18 at that point, sure. Maybe we get to 19 or 20 in four or five years from now, depending on how things in the world and things in IndyCar are going. Cool. But I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. No, unless they just start throwing in random double headers, which <laughs> I don't know if we need more of those. No, please, no. One one a year is, in, is enough for me. <laughs> or just add more races at the Indy Road Course. No. Just to make it 20 no. rounds. <laughs> no. That's all I have. No. Just no. Hey, I, I don't know. Why, I mean, where, where could you see them going? Because they're talking about international stuff. This was kind of off the back of that... What are they called? Demo yeah, they, run, demonstration run, and in, in I think Argentina is a good possibility. Argentina and Mexico seem yeah, Mexico like strong point. possibilities. I don't want to say strong, like it's going to happen next year or something like that. Strong, like it could become a rumor. <laughs> like I don't, I'm not confident enough beyond saying it's a it's a possibility that they might talk about it one day, and maybe they already are. Yeah, but. And maybe this Argentina thing has spurred on more conversations that we just haven't heard about yet. It's highly possible. But other than those two, maybe, I don't know. I I, I have a hard time seeing them going over to, like, Europe or anything like that because of the money involved. Yeah. So do you go to another, like, do you do a Western Canada race? Do you do, I don't know, do you add, yeah, why not? you know, Milwaukee or... You know, the the new the soon to be rebuilt Fontana or obviously I'm kidding on that one, but yeah I don't know something else that you Watkins Glen or something like that Coda. Coda you know there's definitely possibilities that that you could do there but I yeah yeah that's all I got okay yeah that's fair I think you're right about Mexico I don't know if Argentina is going to be a goal of Anybody but Ricardo Juncos, unless he can really start to bring in some large businesses or sponsors, partners from Argentina that would become relevant for the other teams. I think Mexico is probably relevant for a lot of the brands that are already in IndyCar. They probably have markets in Canada and Mexico just as North America, but I doubt many of them reach down into Argentina, so... We'll have to see. They, people seem excited there. I mean, that's the crowd was a nuts. good first step. So I think that, like, if you can say, if, if you can get that crowd for a, a demonstration run, you can get that crowd for a race weekend. And then, so. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think we've just got a couple more pieces of news. Did we talk about Josh Pearson on the last time we we recorded? Okay, so that's news that we need to just get at. Um. Ed Carpenter Racing now has a development driver in 16-ish, 17-year-old Josh Pearson. He's, 10. he's also, he's a super nice kid. 
I did interview him when I did that Indie Lights bullpen a month or so ago. Super nice kid. He just makes me feel really old, like really old. Yeah, let's see, because our co-host makes us feel pretty old too, but how old is, like what year was Pearson born in? 2008. You gotta find out. <laughs> I'm, I start to look at, is no, it, do you no, look? I'll, I'll look it up right now. Oh, okay. I start to look at now like NFL players, and I feel old because they're younger than me now, like NFL quarterbacks at you know, this point. He's born in 2006. You weren't that far off. So he was born on Valentine's Day. Uh, so you know you're saying like NFL players. So there's a, a guy who plays for the Colts here in Indianapolis, Zaire Franklin, who went to the same high school as me back in in Philly. Super cool. He's a really nice guy. I've he seems pretty talented. I don't know football talent that well, but I was thinking I was like I was telling. So I went to the Colts game on Monday with a with a friend, and I was sitting there talking to him, and I'm like, yeah, you know, Zaire Franklin went to my high school. He's like, oh, are you guys the same age? And I was like, nope. Nope, he probably. I don't really. I don't really honestly know how old he is, but he's got to be at least eight years younger than me. We got to find out. Are you looking it up? Is it? Yeah, I want to see. Okay, let's see. Um, he was born. Oh, he's even three years younger than me. Damn. So that means, yeah, everybody can do the math if they know how old host is. But yeah. all right, continue on. All right, last couple pieces of news, I guess. We've got news that IndyCar will have a new attenuator next season. And I think we're only probably talking about that because it's a really slow time of the year offseason. But hey, I guess this is supposed to, you know, improve safety. Um, It's a redesigned unit that's, I guess, improves crushability. It's what it says in yeah. what I'm reading, and reduce the forces transmitted into the cockpit from rearward impacts. I mean, it makes so like a Joseph Newgarden yeah. crash at Iowa. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. It's cool. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, the diagram. I did actually read that uh, the other yesterday or the day before, whenever it came out. But it's cool, and I appreciate the fact that this is something that can go towards the new car chassis whenever that actually comes out or new engine or you know however so they have some time to see how things start to work together it's something that probably 98% of the fans won't care about but it's probably more important than we realize if that makes sense yeah no I'm sure it's not as obvious I think as something like a aero screen but I mean it makes a difference especially when we're talking about development being done on a car that what first came out in 2012 yeah don't don't say that too loud because people are gonna go it came out 10 years ago yeah i guess that's now a nice easy round number for them to criticize indycar there's, <laughs> there's one other thing we had the racing's still good sorry i keep cutting you off tonight no no you're good there's one other thing we have not talked about okay yeah, yeah. okay i was leaving okay. the best for last okay i'll leave it to you then I'm sure everyone knows because it was the big topic of discussion uh, on social media, but IndyCar's big high V race weekend doubleheader is going to feature four pretty massive music artists. Um, and who do we have? We have Carrie Underwood. Love her. Love her. Zach Brown. Don't know him very well. Um, Zach Brown Band, I guess. Kenny Chesney. 
and then Ed Sheeran. It's pretty massive. Yeah, I mean, not my music taste, really, but you got to respect that they kind of nabbed these artists. And I know that people are really frustrated about the prices going up if they just want to see the race or they expect somehow to nab these. I mean, I'm looking. These guys are with Grammy Award winners that have multiple number one hits. These are like worldwide household names. I mean, even if you don't like country music, you know who these people are. And Ed Sheeran, who I guess doesn't sing country music. I don't. I don't know what genre he really Pop. is. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I'm not really big into Ed Sheeran. Sick rock. I don't. He's not really rock. No. I wouldn't say, but no. I don't know. Yeah, I know you have a bunch of thoughts, so I'm going to keep mine short. It's it's a tough. We all want IndyCar to be more popular, and one of the things to make IndyCar more popular is things like this, things like Iowa last year other other tracks that you know do some sort of fun and games type of stuff like gateway always does a good job and detroit a couple of years ago pre-covid did a really good job on Belle isle and, and maybe did maybe they did this year obviously i took that weekend off for my birthday this year but and you know they're trying to give it a more festival like atmosphere like you get at some street street courses and whatnot so i get it i i know it's, it's a lot it's not going to be for everybody and that's fine but this is i i also am interested to see how many people will come you know maybe that don't know a lot about indycar and you know a lot of yeah. comments i see especially on facebook are well isn't it going to be embarrassing if the stands are three quarters empty how many you might get a chunk of people who just you know sit down in the stands for the concert pre-concert and then you know they're going to come before the post-race concert so you'll you'll get that trickle in effect of people that come either before the the first race so you're gonna get people that are gonna be there all day whether they're there for the race or not so i don't think that three-quarter stands empty thing is really a big deal now could i be wrong yes it's iowa it could be eight thousand degrees in the summer there like it was last year it was miserable <laughs> but i'm i'm honestly willing to give this one a chance right now and if you're there for just the concerts and you don't care about IndyCar, thank you for spending your money at these concerts. That can only help IndyCar in the long run. Now, if if this is a total failure, it was a good attempt by Hy-V. They can scale it back, you know. I'm, but I'm honestly, I'm open-minded. I'm willing to give it a shot. I know we might be in the minority yeah, there, and I, I I understand why people are frustrated. It's hard to buy four tickets for a family when you. You know, maybe you don't care about the concerts or whatever. And if you don't care about the concerts, please stop telling me you don't care about the concerts because I don't care either. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head there. This may attract some people because to get a ticket to see probably any one of those four artists by themselves is less than the ticket's going to be for you know, a race ticket. So that's a massive deal, and I could see people coming just for the concerts alone. And if they spend the money at the track, maybe it doesn't matter if the stands are full, if they make their revenue, you know? So I think this could be a win for IndyCar, even though it may seem like a betrayal of some kind for the fans who feel like they're getting uh, passed over or gypped because it's, you know, for them technically that they're going to this event, but... I think to make it a success with the amount of money that Hy-Vee is spending, they need to take a big risk like this, and you can't blame them for doing it. This is what growth honestly looks like, 
And I know people are always talking about we want IndyCar to grow. But if we then crap all over the growth when it happens and act like, oh, they're taking away our little niche favorite, you know, thing that we're, you know, club members of that we feel like we belong to. I mean, that's what's going to happen, right? Before F1 was popular in the U.S., it felt kind of cool, like niche, you know, you're an F1 fan, you meet somebody, it's a little bit more special to talk about F1 then. But the growth is is kind of awesome, too, because it just built, you know, makes racing more popular globally. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's okay if if you can't afford to go or and whatnot. Like, I, yeah, listen, you got to prioritize bills or family or alcohol or whatever whatever your whatever your thing is. But at the same time, if it, I think it can help IndyCar, and, and I could be wrong. It's not the first time I would be wrong. Yeah, that's okay, and that's okay. If and if we're wrong, I'll do a whole episode next year on November thirtieth about how I was wrong last year. And I'm only saying that because I guarantee you I'll forget. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how it'll be. I'm very intrigued by the concerts. I'm hoping I can convince Sam to sit in the car with me for seven hours and drive west to Iowa, the middle of Iowa in in the summer, because I know she she likes Kenny Chesney. I know she likes Zach Brown Band. I think maybe to a lesser degree, and the other Carrie Underwood and. Ed Sheeran, I'm not, not really sure of. I don't really remember. I know we talked about it, but anyway, we'll wrap it up there. Everybody, thank you very much for listening. Next week, we're going to have kind of a weird week because I will unfortunately not be recording because I have some medical stuff to take care of. So Frenchie will be doing IndyCar with a special guest co-host and F1 with a different special guest co-host, both of whom will not be friend of the show cody bray i can promise you that (laughs) so i will see cody this weekend though so anyway everybody have a lovely weekend of whatever you want to do hey there and welcome to the joy of paddle podcast hosted by me minter dial a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning or have never even heard of paddle, or padel as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!